y'all been around for a while, you know that Chris and I have been hyping up for well over a year and a half now that we are going to overland internationally. And some of you guys still may not know what that means. Essentially, it means traveling <laughs> in a vehicle around the world. That's overlanding traveling in a vehicle. And that's more of a term that's been used in like Australia and Europe for a long time. And America is just not going to pick up that term. But that's a fancy term for we're going on a major road trip. And there is one guy who has been incredibly helpful and inspiring as we have navigated learning so much about this crazy process of shipping our truck camper to Argentina in the coming weeks. And that is Dan of the Road Chose Me. And if you've never heard of Dan, he's got a YouTube channel. He's got books. I mean, he is such an interesting dude, very experienced. What can you say about Dan? Dan is from Australia, which he originally, originally, which means he has a super cool accent. But but he just sounds like adventure. He does sound like adventure. He has traveled all over Africa. He's traveled all over South America, um, in North America, in Australia. He has done this overland. He is like, I don't want to, because he's not very old, but I'm going to call him the grandfather of overlanding because he's been doing it for so long. He's way ahead of us. I think he's been overlanding for 15 years now before social media was even social media. I mean, he was doing this without apps to tell him where to camp at night. I mean, he is like... OG I mean, overland. Dan has been uploading videos to YouTube for a very long time, and he is this amazing resource for people wanting to ship their vehicles internationally and do this whole overlanding thing. But even if that's not what you're interested in, even if you're not interested in actually doing that yourself, his videos are so fun, and you see a whole different side of the world that you never will probably see. I mean, he's gone to places that I don't know that I will ever step foot in. Like, I will probably never step in to the DRC, the Congo in Africa. I mean, that's one of the most dangerous places on earth. And he goes there and he shows what it's like. And he has incredible stories. So if you have a a little bit of like the wanderlust bug and maybe you're at home or maybe you are dreaming of going to some of these places, just go watch his videos. But today, I think today's episode will be a great introduction to maybe help you understand like what Chris and I are about to get into, where we're going and what we're doing. And also you get to hear some of Dan's incredible stories. Oh, Let's just get to it. Well, hang on, before we get to it, please leave a review for this podcast. It helps us out. Sarah hates when I ask for this, but we have to ask for it. So there it is. And now the episode. Today we are joined by our good friend, Dan. Dan is doing something and has been doing something for a very long time that has inspired us. We're getting ready to go on our own journey and partly because we've watched Dan's content online we've seen his stories. So Dan is this overlander and we'll explain what overlanding is because it's not a really well-known term, but if you've been around for a while, you know that we are about to go on our adventure, but Dan has been doing this adventure for a long time. So Dan, thanks for being a part of the show and thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a real pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to just chatting. It feels like we're just hanging out together, and it's great. I know. This is great. So we met you for the first time at Overland Expo, and I wish we had longer to talk because we have so many questions, and we I know we have a lot in common. But maybe for the people who aren't familiar with overlanding, could you give them a brief overview of what is overlanding and also who are you and what you – that's a really loaded question. Maybe yeah. I should have who are one. you? What are you <laughs> – what do you stand for? Like, no. yeah. <laughs> Let's start with who are you, Dan? <laughs> tell us, tell everybody what you've been up to, where you're from, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, my name is Dan, and uh, I grew up in Australia, kind of like in a small farming town. And I went to university in Melbourne, 
And then I moved over to Canada and, and started having kind of all these adventures in the mountains just on the weekends while I was working as an engineer. Um, and somewhere along the line, I realized that, that sitting at a desk just wasn't making me happy and it wasn't kind of fulfilling. And, and I looked at my coworkers who were in their 60s and I realized that that was me. Or like all I had to do was sit at a desk for the next 40 years and that's what I was going to turn into. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa that's really terrifying. Um, what else can I do? Like, that's not the life that I want to have for the next 40 years. Um, and I'd always been fascinated by travel and going new places and meeting new people. And so I loaded all of my camping gear into a little Jeep that I had, a little two-door, and I drove up to Alaska for a summer. I, I quit my job, I sold all my stuff, and I drove up to Alaska. And I just camped along the way. I cooked all my own food in a little camp stove. And I just started having adventures. I would go hiking and meet people and get invited to gold mines and just random kind of life. Um, and it was it was captivating. It was enthralling. It was amazing. And then someone said, well, you should go down to Mexico for the summer so you can skip winter. And I bought a map of Mexico and all of Central America was attached. And then I was like, wait a minute. Like, what stops me driving to Guatemala? Like, I... And, and this is, I should say, this is about 15 years ago. So this is before iOverlander existed. This is before kind of driving around in your own vehicle was sort of common. Um, and so I just went for it. I just started driving and I drove all the way through Central America. I shipped my Jeep from Panama to Colombia. And then I drove the whole length of South America, just having adventures, hiking every day, poked lava with a stick, climbed a 20,000 foot volcano. Uh, and that, that adventure ended up taking two years, which was insane. And I did not plan for that, but it, it changed my whole life and kind of opened my eyes to what's possible um, if you want to go out in the world and have adventures. Wow. I, for, the, the first thing that stood out to me is you did this 15 years ago and you said without iOverlander and apps and technology have completely changed the game. I feel like we're doing it, we're, we're cheating it when we use yeah. technology the way that we use it these days, but yeah. you did it like the real way wow. before there was Starlink. <laughs> I didn't have any like digital navigation. So I didn't even have a GPS or a phone. Um, and I got horribly lost many, many, many times. So that's half and, the fun. <laughs> well, I know. And, and sometimes it was fun because you would wind up in just this amazing, incredible place you didn't even know existed. But when you were just stuck in the big like mega cities of like it took me four hours oh. to get out of quito in uh, ecuador oh, just gosh. driving in traffic in like hectic traffic you know think of the biggest city you've ever been to in your whole life now make the traffic times 10 the road rules <laughs> don't exist and i was just going around in circles for four hours it was, it was oh so my cool. gosh <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> so what what did your family say like you i mean you grew up in a small town in australia and then you're like, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to travel the world. So, I mean, what, what what did your family, your friends say when you decided to go on this adventure? Yeah, my mom and dad, they definitely weren't happy. They were like, but, oh, but no. you've got this whole great engineering career and you could like buy a house and, you know, like, um, and they were worried, you know, from a safety perspective. But I think as, as time went on and, and I kind of, I crossed more borders and I was blogging about it the whole time they realized that I was taking it quite seriously and, and I was doing all of my research and I was talking to other travelers. I wasn't just going kind of without planning or preparation. I was, I was doing it as smartly as I could. And now I think that, you know, I've done it for longer and longer. They realize, okay, yeah, Dan's kind of a professional traveler. That's actually what he does. You've already been to some of the most extreme places on earth and we'll get to that in a minute. 
But before we dive too far into your adventures, maybe we should pull back for a second and talk, what is overlanding? Because I feel like we've been Mm -hmm. throwing out this term to our audience for a long time, especially being American. This is a term that's, I feel like, just now becoming known. It's becoming more popular. People understand, some people understand the term a little more here in America, but it's not... What I think most people here know what van life is. They know what van life is, and they also know like rock crawling. And there's something mm-hmm. in the middle to that's what I view overlanding as is like something in the middle where it's you're traveling by land um, and going to places that are a little bit more off the grid or hard to reach. I mean, I mean how would you describe overlanding? What does that look like to you? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that uh, for you guys or for, for a lot of Americans, it's it's halfway between rock crawling and van life. When I started overlanding, I would say that it's like backpacking the world, but with a vehicle. Yeah. Basically just, you know, when I was in Central and South America, I met tons of people in their 20s and 30s. You know, they had a backpack on their shoulder and they were traveling for a year or two. And a lot of them actually were on around the world trip. So you buy these plane tickets where you can stop in like eight destinations as you go around the world. Um, And they were staying in hostels and, you know, doing the same things I was, hiking volcanoes and surfing on the beach and, you know, through all the different countries. Basically, I saw myself, I was doing the same thing. I just had a vehicle. And a vehicle is great for a bunch of reasons that kind of aren't obvious on the surface. Um, One is that you can go places that kind of public transport won't get you. So there was a lot of times in South America, I would show up in this tiny little village or some like Alpine lake and all these people would look at me and be like, tourists never come here how did you get here and i'd say well i just drove I'm like it was easy for me <laughs> um, and the other one is when you have your own vehicle you can camp every night so you know you've got all your camping gear and you can cook all your own food mm-hmm. and so those two things help you save a lot of money which means the, sure. trip can, the trip can be longer is, is the way i always look at it so you know had i been paying for accommodation every night i would never have had enough money to go for two years but right. I, I tried hard to wild camp out for free as much as I could. I, I just had a little tent on the ground. And then so my money stretched a lot further. For sure. Yeah, no, we know that too. For us, there's a little bit more cost up front, but in the long run, we save so much money. That's, yeah. That's I mean, that's a huge part of why we love, there's two reasons why we really love overlanding. And that's, it's more affordable and we can go for a long amount of times. And we also get to those places that public transit doesn't get. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What and, I, yeah. and I think too, then you get, you just get to spend more time outside. So mm-hmm. I think typically most people say, even you're on holiday, you're in Alaska, you spend the day outside and you're in some beautiful mountains or something, but towards the end of the day, you move back into a town, you might go to a restaurant for dinner and then you'll stay in a hotel of some sort. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you go back out to the beautiful mountains I think when you're overlanding, you just spend 100% of your time out in the beautiful mountains because in the evening, you just stay in the mountains and like set up camp and cook and, you know, sit around a campfire or something. So 99.9% of your life is spent kind of outside enjoying whatever place in the world you're at. It's hard to beat falling asleep and waking up to those views too. Not that every view out there is awesome. And we've definitely woken up in our fair share of parking lots and not so great spots, but when you do have those really good spots, it's so hard to beat that. And you don't get that unless you're overlanding or camping. Yeah. So do you have to be like, do, do you rough it? Like people listening right now, you're like, all right, maybe I'm an okay camper or, you know, I'm outside, you know, because some people, I, I, I know it's all relative for what people are used to or, you know, um, experiencing. But with you, do you, let's just be honest. Do you feel 
gross and grimy all day because you're outside all day or, or do you feel refreshed and like do you find showers and like like what does that look like for you i think chris as the years have gone on and, and as i'm getting older i don't tolerate the being grimy so much um <laughs> no. so when i drove latin america i really did only have a ground tent i didn't have a shower um i had a tiny little camp stove i didn't have a fridge so i ate fairly bad food and at the end of two years, I was basically fed up with that. And I said, I, I can't do this anymore. Even, even hypothetically, if I won the lottery, I would not have continued traveling because I was worn out and I was sick of it. Yeah. So then when I started planning and preparing for my next trip, I said, you know, I have to change some things. I have to improve my sleeping. So I kind of integrated a pop-up roof into my vehicle. I brought along a shower, just a simple one, but it made a big difference. I had a fridge, so I always had fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, and I had a nice kitchen where I could prepare good meals. And then so on that trip, as, as it turned into years again, I wasn't as worn out and as exhausted. And there were often days where I would, you know, I'd have a shower, I'd eat a great meal, I'd get a really good night's sleep, no matter where I was on the planet. And then in the morning, I'd say, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I, I have no reason to stop. So I think... You can rough it if you want to, but you certainly don't have to. It's not a requirement of, of going traveling. I, when we first hit the road, my one requirement is I have to have a shower because I didn't know. I was like, that's just important to me. Like, I want to feel clean at night before I go to bed. I don't know that I would have kept going if I hadn't had a shower, but there used I to know. be some shame, at least in like the van bubble of, oh, if you're not, you're not doing van life for real or you're not overleaning for real if you're not roughing it. And I, I was, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I was like, no. that's a joke. No, yeah. I can, it can look like anything you need it to look yeah. like as long as you're still getting the experience. So, all right, you, you went to South America, you were traveling there for two years. Obviously you said you've been doing this for 15 years, so you didn't just stop in, in South America. So where all in the world have you traveled? Right. So then, uh, basically when I got to the end of the road, I, I had run out of money. Um, I sold the little Jeep that I was driving I flew back to Canada and, and I had to get a job again. So I just went back to a regular old engineering job, which was a bit depressing, but sometimes I think the reward is worth it. And it's part of the journey is the like the earning the money and the putting in the hard work. Um, so I went to work for four years. I saved up a ton of money and I built out a big new vehicle. I shipped it over to Africa. And then I spent three years driving right around the coastline of Africa. Um, so I drove through 35 different countries, including all the ones that people say you shouldn't drive through. I had adventures that were a thousand times bigger than I even imagined possible on planet Earth. I just had no idea. You know, hundreds of times I went into villages where they'd never seen white people across borders that foreigners had never crossed. I woke up with elephants and giraffes 20 yards away from the Jeep. I rolled the Jeep. I got malaria twice. Like kind of everything that I ever dreamed possible happened happened in those three years. Um, so that was that was expedition number two. And then most recently, I went to Australia, which I had never looked around. I had never seen more than about 10% of the country. Um, I built oh, another wow. four-wheel drive, and I spent a year and a half driving all of Australia's most remote places. So I crossed all of the deserts, drove the world's most remote road, um, tackled some of the hardest four-wheel driving they have, because I'd always wanted to see kind of the remote corners of Australia. And, and so it was great to go back and, and explore my own country like I was a tourist. Wow. And is overlanding bigger in Australia? I've heard it is. What was that experience like? I mean, did you grow up seeing other people do something similar? Or was this just, did you never notice it when you lived in Australia? Or what did that look like? Yeah, I think when I grew up, I never noticed it. Or it was, 
it was sort of something that well well in australian terms i get they're called bogans but uh maybe something that like rednecks do kind of you know you have a four-wheel drive and you go camping and you drink too much beer that was <laughs> when i was growing up that's what it was i think yeah. and, but now it has definitely evolved to, to like we said people have a fridge they have a shower they have really nice like pop-up roof and solar panels and 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 so it's that kind of crossover between van life and overlanding um, and Australia has some incredible wilderness places that you can drive to if you have a good four-wheel drive, so you get to have some amazing experiences. Australia would be such a dream to do. I know Australia is really hard to get a vehicle so to. We've heard difficult. it's next to impossible. Yeah, but yeah which is actually, that's actually why I didn't even contemplate shipping one. I, I knew it wasn't worth it, the, the expense and the hassle, so I just flew there and bought one, which, which is easy to do as a foreigner. It's like really straightforward. There are a ton of vehicles to choose from. A lot of them you can buy already completely decked out, ready to hit the road. So, you know, fly there, buy a really good Land Cruiser for, let's say, $60,000, drive it around the whole country, and then sell it at the end for $55,000. Wow. So, you know, you've rented a vehicle for an entire year for five grand. It's totally, yeah. totally doable. That's incredible. That's kind of what we've heard, actually. And, like, I, maybe I should, I was going to about to spill into like, this is what our plan is one day for Australia, but I'm not going to do that yet. That's still years away. One day, Australia we'll will we'll happen. Tell you all, we'll tell you all fair. <laughs> we'll talk day. about this yeah, another yeah. day. <laughs> so let's go back to South America. This is super exciting for us. I know that was the one that's been the farthest out for you. I mean, it's been 15 years since you've done that. But let's talk about Argentina and Patagonia. So could you just give us your experience in those two places? And I'm asking that because that is the first place that we're going to be in our truck. And we're really excited. I think some of the people in our audience are having a hard time wrapping their minds around specifically why we're trying so hard to like get to Argentina. Why is this so high on our list? So could you just explain to the people what makes Argentina and Patagonia and Chile so incredible, overlanding specifically? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, and they are incredible. It's difficult to put into words, but people are incredibly friendly. There's a ton of wide open space. It's fairly cheap like food and gas and things like that there's a ton of opportunities to wild camp um, and the mountains are you know some of the most beautiful on the planet so uh, I spent four months in Patagonia and I wild camped for free every single night for four months and and every day I was out hiking I was you know seeing the stunning mountains interacting with funny locals in little towns um, you just you just sort of wind up having this big like rambling adventure in one of the most beautiful places on earth and it's it's incredible it's really amazing it's making me more excited by the minute i know <laughs> yeah, so we're, excited. we're so excited like chomping at the bit ready to get on a plane oh yeah just, and actually oh. i i loved argentina so much i looked into getting residency there i i almost wow. Stayed wow. And got a job yeah because in the end i was in argentina for i think five or six months and wow. i thought about staying for a few years wow okay so okay so we now need I'm to thinking lower maybe, our expectations. Well, no, That's now I'm saying. just thinking maybe we're like planning on going to Argentina first, but it may be a long time before we go anywhere else. It's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't know. We'll see. We take a day to one day at a time. Yeah. But you go ahead. I'm asking all the questions. Well, I, I want to know, because we get asked this question quite a bit, and especially now since we're about to ship our truck over, people um, are concerned about safety. That's where I was going to go to, actually. Yeah. I mean, all the time when, you know, we were in Mexico last year we were in mexico city for a month and people here in the states were be very careful you know mexico city is so dangerous you're not gonna like just don't go outside blah 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 mexico city was fine i mean obviously it's a big city use common sense but it was fine and then people in mexico city 
when we told them that we were going to Brazil, they were like, you're going to get mugged. You're going to get stabbed. Like it's not safe down there. And then we go to Brazil. It was perfectly fine. It was, and so again, common sense though, <laughs> again, common sense, but for you like dealing with safety on the road and, and well, what has been your experience driving across the world um, and dealing with safety or dealing with encounters like that? Yeah, it, it's fascinating that you tell that story because that really struck me as well when, you know, lots of people warn you don't go to Mexico. But then when you're in Mexico, the Mexicans warn you don't go to Guatemala. And then you're in Guatemala and they warn you don't go to El Salvador. And yeah. <laughs> we as human beings, we seem to have this this tendency to, to demonize, you know, the people on the other side of the imaginary line on the ground. And for some reason, they're all bad, but, but it's fine where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I find it, it's a really hard thing to, to find out what is the actual truth and, and is it safe or is it safe enough for us to go there? And what I've learned over the years is the only way to really find out is to talk to people that have been there and, and hopefully people that have been there recently. And the great thing about overlanding is that if you're driving south, you're going to bump into people who are driving north. So they've mm-hmm. just spent time exactly where you're about to go. And so immediately you become best friends because you can not only swap stories of the beautiful things to see and do, but even logistics, you know, how hard is it to get gas? And then also the safety question. And what I found universally is that for overlanders who are traveling, almost everywhere on earth is very safe. People treat other people well. People are kind to each other. Locals in small villages, they have no interest in hurting a person for no reason. You know, there were hundreds of times in little villages I would just hold out my hand with money in it and the lady in the market would would take the appropriate amount of money for, you know, the bananas or the carrots or whatever I was buying and then, in fact, would chase me down to give me my three cents of change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it was obvious, you know, I was the only white guy for a long way around. I guess if someone wanted to hurt me and take all my money, they could have, but it's never happened. Um, in yeah. fact, in all my years on the road, in all those countries, I have never heard a single gunshot. I have never had a gun pointed at me. I've never had anyone threaten me. I've never even had anyone say something like, or else, or, you know, mm-hmm. something bad is about to happen. And, and I've probably only met one or two overlanders who've had something like uh, pickpocketing or maybe like they had a, a window broken on their vehicle and some things stolen out of their vehicle. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the worst I've ever heard of. Yeah, okay. that's you're that mom and dad. I think our parents listen to this podcast yeah. every now and then. So this is like really affirming. You're like, see, we're not- that you ripped me off like but you're right they're just so like most people are so honest and nice and straightforward mm-hmm. like we've said common sense is a huge part of it too like you know you have to be aware of your surroundings and you can't put yourself in situations that are bad so what are some are there any practical tips that you can offer us and just anybody else who may be travelers um you know we're about to head into the situation that you were in 13 years ago what are some tips that we can take forward with us 
in South America to make sure that we don't end up in a bad situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of kind of universally good good things that you should do. Um, and the number one when you're overlanding is that don't drive at night. Mm-hmm. So driving at night is just more dangerous for a bunch of reasons, partly because the roads aren't very good. So there's potholes that you won't see. There's speed bumps. There's going to be livestock on the road, people walking on the road in the dark with no lights. So you just your chances of having a crash are much higher, and and it is actually kind of scary. It it never felt good whenever I've done it, and as well as that, if there are things like bandits or bad people around, you know the chances of them doing something in the dark is going to be higher than in the daylight. Um, so for me, my number one rule is I just never ever drive in the dark. The, the greatest feeling in the world is when you can find a campsite at about three or four in the afternoon. You know, you still have plenty of daylight, there's no stress, and you can kind of be sitting at camp watching the sunset and and everything feels good because you're not worried about where you're going to sleep that night. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one is, you know, especially when you're in cities, is be mindful of where you're walking and are you wandering around in the dark? You know, are you carrying your iPhone? Do you have a watch on? You know, are you kind of advertising that you have some stuff worth stealing? Um, So I always walked around in my wallet, I would only have about $20 of local currency and literally nothing else. No phone, no watch, no credit cards even on me while I was walking the streets. And I kind of figured all along, if someone did try to mug me, I would just give them everything I had because it was not much. Um, But it never happened. I've never, never had someone, you know, try to steal anything from me. Um, And then I think the other really big one, and, and maybe this doesn't occur to a lot of people, is you're going to get back the same energy that you put out into the world. And so when you show up at a police checkpoint or when you show up at a border or even just in a little village and and you want to buy some tomatoes from the locals, spend the extra time to be friendly, spend the time to be polite and kind, say please and thank you if you can in the local language. There's no rush. There's no reason to be rude or blunt because hypothetically an hour later your vehicle breaks down or you get stuck in the mud or you get lost or just even you want to camp somewhere because you find a nice kind of quiet spot chances are you are going to see those people again who you just saw they're going to come whipping by you in some beat up four-wheel drive or they're going to be like someone's cousin or like what (laughs) goes around comes around and i think when you're kind and friendly and polite people can't help but treat you the same way and they're like Mm -hmm oh, okay, yeah, this this guy's nice. Okay, yeah, and they'll shake your hand and they'll say, yeah, welcome, come on in. Like, whatever it is that you're asking for, we can accommodate that. Mm, I love that. So I don't know if we already said this, but when we first discovered your channel, we were, it was early, like, 2020. We were home, you know, dreaming of traveling, and the idea of international travel by vehicle was something that we were starting to look into more seriously and we found your channel and your channel has been immensely helpful but one of the things that struck us the best or we love the most about your channel is that you treated people like humans that you showed respect to the culture that you showed respect to the people at the border checkpoints and you did one thing that we thought was so smart and you carried coca-cola in your truck because it's like this universally recognized treat for everyone and you would approach a border and say hey would you like a coca-cola or would you like some water or something and i thought that was such a one, it humanized it, but two, it was just like this, I don't know. I mean, it just showed hospitality, but it just, yeah. what, you know what I'm trying well, to go with yeah. this? Well, it's that video. I think it's uh, it's a video of you in Africa and you're going through all these different gate checks or border crossings. And it was, whether you intended or not, it, it was almost like a social experiment, you know, of, of seeing how, how people react to you or whatever. And 
it it's genuinely fascinating hearing you speak and then how they speak back or you know how like it it, it really is interesting um and you're exactly right like you smile like it, you have your wits about you and you smile and you be nice and it seemed like everything was i, I don't know could, can you speak about that can you talk about that that specific instance that i that we're talking about yeah for sure that, that was in nigeria um, and Nigeria is great because English is an official language, so everyone speaks English, which which meant that video worked better because oftentimes I have to do that in Spanish or French and there's a bit of a language barrier. Yeah. Um, but Nigeria, it, it has a lot of military presence, a lot of checkpoints. Um, there are some bad things that happen in Nigeria, no doubt. But these military guys, it is their job to keep you safe. It is their job that they're, they're helping you. So when they stop you on the side of the road and, you know, some people would be like, oh, how dare they hold me up or these guys are wasting my time. Mm. I just tried really hard to have the opposite view on that and be like, hey, guys, how are you today? Thank you so much. Like, you know, it's great to see you. Thanks for being out here in the hot sun. And, and if I had something like an apple or I always had little um, fried plantain chips, I'd be like, oh, yeah, do you guys want some? And like pass it out the window to them. And immediately their whole persona would change, you know, because these are huge big guys holding AK-47s wearing like (laughs) And they would go from being like, you know, stern-faced military to they'd be like, hey, nice to meet you. How are you? Like, welcome to Nigeria. And you could immediately see they they didn't want to be mean, angry people. That was almost like their facade that they were putting on. But if you treated them as friends, they would just immediately treat and they'd say, okay, have a great time, you know, have a good day, see you later. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something that I guess at first when you, you get to these military checkpoints, they're kind of intimidating and you're right. afraid and you're like, yes, sir, no, sir. But as time goes on, you realize, be friendly, be kind, be happy, and people will do the same to you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I remember our first military checkpoint, it was in Thailand. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Years ago, we were with some... Anyway, I'm just going to share this really fast because it was terrifying for our first military checkpoint. But they... It was the same kind of thing where they had, you know, the the guns and those big guys in camo and you're out in the middle of nowhere, Thailand. And they had all of us. It was three white people and one Thai lady with us. And they made us all get out of the car. They pulled the Thai lady aside separately. And then they lined us white people up against a sandbag, (laughs) this mountain of sandbags. I was like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? But they were the nicest people ever. It was just terrifying for like five minutes. (laughs) And they were, they were cutting jokes with the the Thai lady. And so we were like, okay, something's not adding up. I think they were just giving us a hard time, but they were just so nice about it. I just thought this is it. (laughs) This is where I'm going out. But they were, they were looking for people who were trafficking people. And it was just, they were keeping the people safe. And, but yeah, that was my, our first border check. So for America, listeners who maybe aren't familiar this is very common in a lot of other countries and it is a safety measure it's not that that country is any more dangerous it's just they're looking out for its citizens and the foreigners like is there a border that you have crossed that even being nice didn't work and you're like yes ma'am yes sir and then you just kind of wanted to get out yeah (laughs) yeah there was one Um, so in in africa the the biggest country is the democratic republic of congo the drc um, you know, formerly called Zaire, formerly the Congo, probably the least functioning country on earth, probably the most dangerous country on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I drove through a small segment of it for about a week. Um, and it was it was like no other place I'd ever seen on earth, like in terms of development and roads, like non-existent. Um, and the military guys there, they were different. It definitely had a different vibe to it. Um, 
I didn't think they were going to hurt me, but you just had that vibe of like, these guys can kind of do anything they want and they'll get away with it versus in other countries, the military were a lot more professional and they were more like, this is our career and we know if we do something bad, like we're going to get punished and we'll probably lose our job and, you know, then we can't support our family. Um, so, yeah, the, the Congo, the DRC, it, it, it has the reputation as probably the most dangerous country on earth um, and, right. it, and, it felt, and it felt that way. Mm. Okay. It's not a place that people hang around in. You know, it's kind of like get across as fast as you can and really like, yeah, yeah keep your wits about you a lot. Yeah, that's that's a huge country right in the middle of Africa, isn't it? So it's I guess if you're yeah. doing that Western side, it's kind of hard to avoid that one. You but, can actually avoid it if you want to. There are options to go through regions of um, Angola, which was really okay. safe and friendly. And there's there's a military plane that some people take. There's a ferry that people take. Or there's there's like a much shorter route through the Congo you can take. Um, but I was trying to be adventurous, so I took a, yeah. a more adventurous route. <laughs> You may be more adventurous than we are then. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Well, I wasn't I wasn't when I started West Africa. Like it, it just the longer you're there, the more it feels normal. And the more you you're in the culture and you can sense what's happening and you you know, you can speak to the locals because you pick up so much French and you you have that feeling of like, do I feel safe or does this feel weird? At first you you don't because you, you can't sort of sense any of that. But as the months and the years roll on you become more in tune with the like the local environment that's encouraging to hear i feel like we have a small small dose of that just because i mean we have been on the road and we're like you we don't drive at night and if we pull into a campsite and it doesn't feel right we pack up and we leave immediately just like you just trust your gut a little bit and i can imagine that's a whole nother level doing something like western africa yeah so you said that you were were in africa for years what was this continuous or did you ever take breaks even in south america did you ever take breaks and fly home or have a you know like a vacation or you know out of the <laughs> truck or anything like that in, in south america i never did take a break um which i think is part of the reason it led to me being so burnt out mm. um, and kind of sick of it at the end I, I was really sick of it i didn't want to do it anymore and then so when i was planning africa i knew all along that i would take breaks that was that was you know designed in from the very beginning um, so I did fly back to Australia a couple of times and like stay with family and just kind of recharge my batteries and like rest and mm -hmm. sort of organize logistics and like get visas and even just get US dollars in cash from the bank, you know, so that when I flew back to Africa, I was kind of like ready to go again. Yeah, that's actually something we learned at Overland Expo is that it's it's okay. Like when you're doing overlanding internationally, you need to take a break every four or five months. What people have told us, like get out of the truck get your sanity otherwise you will burn out mm -hmm. so that's nice to hear we're not the only ones because i view you as somebody who's like really experienced and you could just handle anything but hearing that you took breaks too is like okay we're not wimps if we take a break yeah <laughs> no no and I, and I think something that's really important to point out is like there's no wrong way to go overlanding there's no right way you you don't get extra points because you didn't have a shower it's <laughs> like everyone <laughs> Everyone does this differently because we're all searching for different experiences and, and different mm -hmm. kind of goals. Yeah. And, and there's no, yeah, there's no wrong way or there's no right way. It's just what works for you and, and what you enjoy and what fits in your budget. And, and maybe you've fitted in around work. And so you go for like a month, a year or something like there's a million ways to do it. And the longer you're on the road, the more people you meet doing it in various different ways. And every single one of them is valid and interesting. And, you know, they're, they're getting different things out of the experience than I did. Um, and so it's great to realize there's no one way that you're supposed to do it.
Mm. For sure. Yeah. Have you met people on the road that you still keep in touch with, both, yeah. whether it's like locals or other overlanders? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Dozens and dozens. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. So excited about that. Because people think that traveling is lonely. And I think we make more friends traveling because we're just always out of our comfort zones and you have to be mm -hmm. really intentional about it. So I find that we end up connecting more people when we're out of our hometown than we are, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you want to talk for a second maybe about like, I know that we're sharing a lot of like the really fun and the really exciting things about overlanding, but prior to the call actually starting to record, you and I were kind of talking for a second about how overlanding is not necessarily easy. Um, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. It's sort of what you said. So what what would you tell people? And we're not trying to discourage somebody from doing it if they really have a passion, they're interested mm -hmm. in doing it. No. But what would you share with them? Maybe somebody is thinking, wow, that sounds amazing. What kind of advice do you have for them? Uh, I mean, advice is absolutely go for it. It's, it's <laughs> incredible. It's I, I always say it's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my whole life, but it's also the most rewarding. And I, I feel like there's, you know, there's something there where those two things go hand in hand. Um, so, yeah, it, it is very difficult. And, and sometimes I describe like regular life. You go to work every day. You live in a nice town. You're surrounded by friends and family. On a scale of one to ten, I would kind of put that life maybe at like a six or a seven and most days are pretty constant because you can have a shower every day, the electricity works, you know, you can go to the supermarket and kind of cook a delicious meal. So every day is kind of more or less constant and, and constant good. And you're like, this is great. I like this. Once you throw yourself out there in the world, if you, if you choose to, you know, go overlanding, you, then you've strapped into a roller coaster and you will have days that are 10 out of 10, the most incredible experiences of your whole life. You poke lava with a stick or you'll, carry chimpanzees through the forest or like oh my gosh wake up to elephants whatever it is you'll say this is the most the best day of my entire life this is incredible this is 10 out of 10 but then because you're strapped into the roller coaster later on you're going to have a zero out of 10 day you're going to be lost lonely tired hungry you might have a stomach bug you're in a town you've never heard of in bolivia the toilet is the most vile thing you've ever seen in your life <laughs> <laughs> and you'll hit rock bottom and you'll like, this is horrible. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the traveling is you're on this big roller coaster. Of, and then, you know, you're at a zero day and then maybe you'll go back up and have a, a nine out of 10 day because you, I don't know, you meet some interesting people or, or things work out. And so for me, I try to remember when you're having those really bad days, it's like you have to take the bad with the good. It, it is a big roller coaster of emotions, of happiness, of everything. Um, and that, that's kind of part of it. And mm -hmm. and like we said, it is difficult and not everyone's going to do it because not everyone wants to tolerate those zero out of 10 days. Yeah, for sure. That's really well put. What has been your zero out of 10 day? Chris is always looking for like, that. I, I, He's I, like, I, give me the juicy I stuff. I want the juicy. <laughs> like, what is the worst day that you've had? Or, you know, <laughs> relatively worst day. I mean, there's been a few. I got malaria twice in Africa. Oh, gosh. Um, and so the second time I lost about 20 pounds in five days. Um, oh, my I, gosh. I didn't eat, sleep, drink, walk or talk for five days. It was it was really bad. Were you in the um, truck that whole time in your Jeep? Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, my gosh. Um, and there was a, a German couple I was traveling with who were, like camped right next to me. So they were keeping an eye on me. But they said if, if it had gone on one more day, they were going to like load me up and take me to hospital. Um, oh, and I didn't, I didn't think I was going to die. Like I, but I started to think about thinking about dying. It was like, <laughs> this is pretty bad. Um, yeah, and, then, 
when I was in Uganda, a, a series of poor decisions led to me rolling the Jeep on its side. I um, remember that video. Yeah. And so that was like, I, if I hadn't have been so exhausted, I probably would have started crying. I just crumpled onto the ground and was like, uh, you know, tons of people told me I was going to fail and that I was an idiot. And, and all of those memories came flooding back where I'm like, mm. you know, I, I've done it. I, I have to just like take my passport out of the Jeep and walk and like, mm. it's over. I've, I've destroyed everything. Um, and so that was, that was pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's days. There's days. Yeah. There are days. <laughs> there are so, days. But you mentioned carrying a chimpanzee through the jungle yeah, and so, suddenly I'm like, let, it's going to be let, okay. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do the Pixar movement. We brought you really low. So what's your highest, what's your highest day? <laughs> oh man. Um, it, I, sometimes I think travel is about different experiences. So, you know, poking lava with a stick was like mind blowing. I never thought I would get to do that. Um, and then, yeah, that? It, yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't even, that was in Guatemala. Uh, okay. okay. Cool. Um, and then yeah, carrying a chimpanzee through the forest and like chimpanzees, like picking food out of my hair and playing with my oh, beard. And, and I was like massaging her hands and like checking out her fingerprints and, um, and then waking up to elephants and giraffes and you just sit quietly like up in the pop-up roof and they just like file by hundreds or you're in a tiny little village and people just come over and they're like welcome welcome like come in and and even if you don't share a language they're like trying to give you food and trying to make you feel welcome in their little village you know so many times where you're like i i can't even believe this is real i'm not even sure if this is happening but i'll just go with it i'm hearing a lot of it sounds like a lot of your favorite highest and lowest memories are africa and i don't know maybe that's because you've done it pretty recently but or if that's just because that's what africa is it's like highest highs and lowest lows i mean you're making me want to go to africa like maybe we should rethink argentina and just go to africa or maybe we should like learn through argentina and then go to africa yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and i feel day. like i feel like that was a really good kind of progression of like central and south america you know they have their challenges and they're difficult and you have the highs and you have the lows but all of that was really good training for what you're going to have to deal with in Africa. Just sort of everything is like a step more difficult or more challenging, um, but then more rewarding, you know, because nobody gets to those wild places where you get to see, you know, wild gorillas and you didn't even pay an entrance fee. It's just wow. you out there. It's just you out there in your vehicle, and there's a gorilla climbing through the tree next to you. That's amazing. Oh my gosh! Someone actually just told us recently that the, to walk with the gorillas in Rwanda is like two thousand dollars, and you saw one for free. Yeah. That's incredible. That's for a few free around the place. Yeah. Did you save that location on iOverlander? Because I need that. <laughs> I don't think the gorilla will still be in the same spot. But it's true, true. <laughs> Yeah, but in but in general, when you have your own vehicle, you can you can just find experiences that are uncommon or that are less you know well trodden. Gosh, yes, and lots of wanderlust. Yeah. Breaking is very excited, and I think we just needed like this like pep talk of like it's gonna. I know. Right now we're in the thick of like the dealing with the shipping agents and everything like that, like trying to get the truck on the boat, and it is like we are in the weeds of it. But hearing the story is like it's gonna be worth it. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be good. It's a, it's a slog for sure. For sure. If somebody is listening to this and they're like, you know what, I, I want to drive across the world or, you know, have a very similar adventure to, to what you're doing. Um, what what would you tell them? Like what? Yeah, I know we've I already asked for your advice, but <laughs> somebody like if somebody's not even sure if they want to do this. Um, yeah. What would you say? Yeah, I think it's it's extremely intimidating to just kind of like jump off the deep end. 
And so that's not what I did. And I don't think anyone should do that. So my biggest advice is always like, just start out small, like head out on little weekend trips, like take the car that you already own, take a tent, take a camp stove and go close to home. You know, an hour from home, you'll find a national forest or a national park or something. Go camping and, and see how you enjoy it and see what aspect of the trip appeals to you. And then as time goes on, you might learn, you know, hey, I really enjoy cooking, so I'd like to have a fridge and a kitchen. So then you could incorporate that. Or you might be a person who says, I don't care at all. I'm just going to eat Mr. Noodle, but I really want to go fishing. So bring your fishing gear and go somewhere that has good fishing. Like learn what it is about being out in nature that you enjoy and focus on that and kind of amplify that. And as time goes on, you know, you can squeeze a long weekend, then maybe you could take a week off work. Then maybe the time comes where you can take a month off and you could like head up towards Alaska or something like just slowly build up and keep having the experiences and and keep getting the rewards where you say, this is great. I want to keep going as you learn what works for you and what's enjoyable. But you haven't had to jump off the deep end. You know, you, you didn't quit your job and you didn't go all in on this crazy adventure vehicle, but now you're committed. You don't even know what you enjoy yet. Like, yeah, sort of, I guess, start small and slowly build up from there. That's great advice. Yeah. Very good advice. Thank you for that. All oh, right. Sure. And, and, and that's exactly what I did. And, and so, you know, the first time I had a problem with my adventure vehicle, I was a few hours from home, you know, and I was still in Canada. And so there were people around that I could ask for help. And you know, the first time I ever had a flat tire on the side of the road, you know, three Canadians pulled up and asked if I needed help. <laughs> because Canadian. I, well, and because I had started sort of like close to home, it didn't feel so scary and so intimidating. Mm -hmm. versus, yeah. You know, you, you go hit the road, you just jump in and you're in the middle of nowhere in Mexico and things start going wrong. Like mm -hmm. that's pretty, that's pretty scary. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Get a little experience first. Yeah. Dan, you have lots of videos that people can catch up on YouTube if they don't already know you. So maybe as we're closing out, maybe you could just tell us where people can find you. We're going to link everything down below, but yeah, tell them how they can learn more about this overlanding life. Yeah, for sure. So uh, on YouTube, I am The Road Chose Me, um, and I've got a whole series of videos designed to help teach people what they need to know. So how to cross borders, how to deal with currency, the, the video that Chris mentioned on bribery, like how to deflect that, kind of a, a whole series to teach people to be able to get out and go and have adventures of their own. Um, and then I have Instagram as well with all kind of the photos and the inspiration. Um, and I've written a couple of books about my adventures as well. So The Road Shows Me, Volume 1, is all about the Pan American Highway trip. And then Volume 2 is my three years in Africa. Um, and I'm working on Volume 3, which is from the Australian Expedition. Um, so all of that you'll find online um, under The Road Shows Me. Awesome. Uh, awesome. And I can say those videos are very helpful. Very helpful. <laughs> I know there's some more we probably should yeah. go back and rewatch. But yeah. Dan, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And we're very excited for what's ahead for us and for you. <laughs> You're so welcome, guys. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm so stoked that I can, you know, get you guys fired up to, to put in the effort to go down and have that big adventure in South America. We can't wait to see what's next for you. Yeah. We'll be watching. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to What No One Tells You with Chris and Sarah. If you have a comment or question that you want answered on the air, be sure to send us a message to hello at chrisandsarah.com or you can call or text our phone number at 423-825-9572. Thanks for listening.